Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Welcome, Victoria. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Cathy, for inviting me along to do this podcast with you. I'm really looking forward to sharing my views, thoughts and knowledge on the schools bill and the opportunities it presents. So, Victoria, I've looked at recent press articles. Attendance is certainly in the news, uh, certainly over the course of the pandemic. It was, I think, when schools returned, there was a lot of attention given to the fact that perhaps some children didn't want to come to school, were more reluctant to come to school. And it sort of had national attention and perhaps a lot of anxiety was around at that particular time. So I think it's something, attendance is something that everyone is reading about, they're interested in, but there are lots of changes, aren't there, coming up that schools need to be particularly aware of. Tell us a little bit about the context and what's going on at the moment. Absolutely. I think the pandemic has really heightened the world of attendance and the complexities of young people who are not able to attend school regularly. I think it's important to note, Cathy, that work on attendance has been going on for a long, long time behind the scenes. One of the roles that I hold is the president of a national professional association, and we work very closely with the attendance policy team. And the work that informs the bill has been part of what we've been working on before the pandemic. The pandemic has made a sense of urgency around the content of the work we've been doing. And I think I'd quite like to put the changes into some sort of context around how they were consolidated into the schools bill. The schools bill, as you know, is a a broad ranging document around changes and a vision for education going forward. The thrust of the bill and the proposed changes is to support a mission by this government to raise standards across the country. So there's a fundamental reason for the schools bill itself. Within that, we've got components to address and tighten safeguarding of young people and also to improve not just rates of attendance. Sometimes that gets pushed to the fore. It's about having a consistent offer and support across the country, across England, for children, families and young people. And the way that that has been ensured is to make this into central to the schools bill and also that this will become a statutory requirement from September 2023, given the bill's passage through Parliament currently. I'd just like to briefly touch on a couple of the safeguarding elements because they do impact on schools and school attendance and young people who may not continue at one school and school may have concern about where that young person is is moving on to. 
So the school bill is as a result of the white paper. And the school's white paper set out a long-term vision for what education should look like in England and looking at some of the peripherals of education, the kind of support structure that supports the learning and the teaching, that is young people actually coming into into schools itself. The school's bill will provide legislation to make that vision a reality, is the intention. You might question why legislation is necessary. It holds people to account. It ensures that organisations can have a consistent and a kind of infrastructure around what it is we're trying to achieve so that we all know within which parameters we're working. At the moment, there's a lot of inconsistency around the delivery of school attendance services, support for young people and, and their families, and indeed for schools. And so that is partly what the bill is trying to achieve. So it's actually consolidating the vision by having legislation behind it. As a sort of an onlooker, I was surprised to think that there wasn't already a document that implied there should be consistency and clear expectations nationally around this issue. There is a document, actually, Cathy, but it's guidance only. And no matter how hard work has been done around the country, we're still finding massive inconsistencies. And what that's led to is a postcode lottery, basically, of services for young people and families who find difficulty attending school, for schools who need support and help. It's been meted out, really, I suppose, based on how local authorities, for example, have organised their school attendance services, where local authorities have chosen to fund different services and that's led to the attendance services losing capacity to support schools. And so this is making it more of a level playing field. I'd just like to say a bit about, as I said just now, some of the peripheral elements of the bill, which we think will safeguard young people, particularly when they are not in a mainstream school setting, for example. So Ofsted have been given new powers to close some of the loopholes around their involvement with unregistered schools and schools that are operating illegally. And what we find is that young people sometimes leave a mainstream school setting, be it in the independent sector or be it in the state sector. And those young people sometimes go to quite specialist schools set up by perhaps people, members of their community or other people who have you know, they have the right to set up a school, but you have to have to have it registered. So they're going to be giving Ofsted more powers to act and collect evidence and get over some of the barriers and hurdles, which we know have laid young people who attend some of these provisions open to not receiving an adequate education, for example, receiving a biased education and also their own safety has, has been at risk in many cases. So We welcome that. There have been some prosecutions of proprietors running illegal schools, but it's more about trying to protect the young people whose parents choose to send them there. By all means, set up an independent registered school, but you have to comply. And we, I say we, in the education world, in the the attendance world, and through Ofsted, want to see evidence of that. The other area which I feel will protect young people is those young people who 
do not attend or have attended for some time and then their parents decide to remove them from school and educate them at home. Every local authority will now be required to keep a register of those children. And it might surprise you, Cathy, that there isn't a register already. Amazing and astonishing. So you could just take your child out of school and nobody's following that up? Or Well, if you took your child out of school, if they'd previously been registered, then you let the school know that you'll be doing that and the school have to let the local authority know. So local authorities only know about the children that they know about. So if you didn't send your child to any provision at all, or you decided that you wouldn't start them into a registered school, nobody would actually know. So this was really brought to light, as you said earlier, about in relation to the pandemic, where the Children's Commissioner, Dame D'Souza, commissioned a report and published interim findings um, about she wanted to gather information around the number of children who were not in school, possibly as a result of the pandemic initially, but the research widened because what she was finding was that her teams were asking local authorities, a sample local authorities to provide information and they could only provide information about the children they knew. And did anybody know how many children we have in England, for example? Did anybody know how many children had never been to school but who were being educated at home? And the answer was no. So we have a set of missing, a cohort of missing young people. That isn't to say that all those young people are at risk, but we do hear of young people who are very much at risk and are very vulnerable and have never been on anyone's radar. So so the requirement will be that all local authorities have to maintain a register of children not in school. Which is a fantastic positive step, certainly in terms of safeguarding. Absolutely. So moving on to the bill that impacts directly on on schools, Cathy, because I think that's really important for schools to hear. So there will be duties placed on schools and expectations placed on schools. And primarily, it will be around proprietors of establishments actually having due regard and following the law which we believe will be implemented no earlier than September 2023. However, in order to prepare for this, the government have produced a document, the Department for Education have produced a document called Working Together to Improve Attendance. The thrust of that document is around support and consistency of support for children and young people. The elements of the bill as it's laid out in some of the frameworks, just very briefly touch on that. So I'll come back to that. But I wanted to just look at the four kind of cornerstone pillars of the bill quickly. Not all all of it will apply directly to schools, but it will have an impact on the work that they're doing in relation to their, their local authority. And that applies both to maintained and independent schools. So currently, we have some duties placed on local authorities under various Acts of Parliament, but this schools bill will actually require more duties, will place more duties on on local authorities. And the local authorities bit is important because schools can expect to receive 
a minimum core service from local authorities. And that includes, for the first time, independent schools too. So independent schools do have links with local authorities, particularly when young people leave their school, they have to comply with the children missing education regulations. Some independent schools may use their local authorities or may have good relationships. I know, for example, some independent schools that I work with have are very much involved if there is any child protection, of course, or any kind of concern that might involve children and young people's services. They do attend meetings. But the level of support around school attendance is very, very limited. And that's partly been around the fact that local authorities have been trading a big part of that attendance service for for a good 10 years or more now. So that has to stop. And the local authorities have to provide a minimum core offer, which includes regular communication to all schools, regardless of type. So I'm talking now about the regulations placed on the local authority because I want schools to understand what they can expect and what they should expect. And I use the word demand in inverted commas because we don't want relationships to be about that. But it's important that they're aware of what they can um, ask of their local authority for support with. So it isn't, for example, in independent schools, just when young people have left and they don't know where they are. You know, we want them to be making relationships earlier on in their monitoring of attendance so that they can ask for help if they need it. Is there any sort of government requirement that schools have an attendance officer? Does there have to be someone specified in that particular role? So the duties placed on schools and the expectations placed on schools are encapsulated in their requirement to have a published school attendance policy. And it's quite prescriptive what should be in that policy. I will go into that, Cathy, in a bit more detail. But in answer to your question, the answer is yes, all schools will be required to have a named senior leader who leads on attendance. And that's to ensure that there is a strategic drive across a setting to promote, maintain, improve attendance. And the thrust of that is about ensuring that there is a whole school policy, a whole school strategy. And what I mean by that is that attendance is everybody's business. That includes all members of staff, that they have a heightened awareness. You'll remember when keeping children safe in education, uh, working together to keep children safe, that is how we envisage the new guidance working together to improve attendance. That's how we envisage the responsibilities for attendance going forward. And we are at the very beginning of working with schools and uh, local authorities to get this right. There is some excellent practice around nationally in both local authorities and schools. But the management of attendance within a school setting has to be driven by a senior leader. So you're absolutely right there should be a named person. And that's going to be part of the requirements of the policy. Just returning to some of the other implications of the schools bill, there's four core elements, really. One is the general duties placed on local authorities in relation to school attendance, which I've just touched on. 
One is the requirement for schools to publish an attendance policy and within that some very prescriptive components, as I've said. The third part is a proposal to change the penalty notice regulations. So at the moment, all local authorities have an agreed code of conduct that has been set up by the local authority officers and councillors. So it varies from local authority to local authority. It's, it's unfair, it's unjust. Parents have no idea whether you know their child going to school in one authority will be subject to the same treatment if they're not in school. So this is an opportunity and a proposal to make it a more fair and consistent approach. This has a long way to go through Parliament. There are some politicians who don't think that fining parents is, is the right way forward at all. And then you've got some a view that actually we should have a really strict regime. It, there will be some balance in the middle. I would like to say in relation to penalty notices and in fact any legal intervention that the school's bill lays out the foundations for how services should look to overcome some of the issues that we currently have around inconsistency. The working together to improve attendance guidance that's been issued to support schools to do this clearly states that legal intervention must be a last resort and you must evidence what you've put in place to support children and families to improve attendance beforehand. And that has got much more stringent. And I think where that fell down previously and why I think the changes in legislation around penalty notices will help is that some local authorities and some schools were very, very quick to make referrals as long as a child had X number of unauthorised absences, the school would be able to ask the local authority to issue a, a fine. In other local authorities, they, were, they rarely used that process. So we had massive inconsistency that parents weren't aware of, that the DfE became more aware of. And clearly you can't have an unfair system across the country, you know, with equality acts, etc. So that has been really pulled apart. So the, the idea is to have a national framework that it will be made very clear when that legal intervention in relation to penalty notice, for example, can start. So it's considered very much a last resort. And we want schools to be really working through the multitude of sort of support options around that young person before we would ever get to that point and for it to be done nationally consistently. That's correct. And when you say multitude of support, I think it's really important for schools to realise that now there is not an expectation that they will provide all of that support. There is a new duty placed on local authorities that where young people fall into a persistent absence category, that is a young person who has missed 10% or more of the possible sessions that they could have attended school. And within that category, a new definition of young people who are classed as severely absent, severe absenteeism, that is children who have missed 50% or more of their possible time that they could have been in school. So there's a requirement now for local authorities to work with all schools to identify those young people and to put together a multi-agency approach and support and an action plan to re-engage those young people in education and learning. 
So it sounds like from what you're saying, there's a diffusion of responsibility that's a bit more equitable following as proposed by this bill amongst those different agencies. But who would be in charge of sort of coming up with the plan, with the support plan? Is there someone either in the local authority or the school who has to take ownership over that plan? Absolutely, Cathy. Yes, there is. So that can be determined by the multi-agency group as to who would be the lead professional. And that is going to be the person who's most appropriate in relation to how involved they are with the family, who knows the family best. Because when we are talking about young people who are persistently or severely absent, as you know, there's a complexity of reasons that becomes barriers to learning and education and attending school. So it might be, for example, that the young person has dropped into a category of persistent absenteeism because they've had multiple changes of address as a result of housing need. It might be that the housing support person may be the best person to lead this plan because actually the plan and the reason, partly the reason the young person's not in school is because of multiple housing changes and it might be that that young person needs to have some stability of housing and it might be that the housing officer can look at having some stability in a certain area and certain address to get that young person back into school. But I kind of envisage that it may very well be perhaps school or children's services rather than the other agencies that work with families. But I just wanted to reassure schools really, Cathy, in that there is a very definitive staged intervention approach that I can share outside of our discussion today and later on around how to approach support from an early stage that enables schools and local authorities in fact but schools is what we're going to be supporting to do this work schools to have very early intervention strategies that stop problems getting bigger but also if that isn't successful what does the next stage look like and again you know there's usually four or five stages of intervention before you would ever consider thinking about referring to the local authority for prosecution so it definitely isn't three strikes and you're in the prosecution ring it's absolutely not that but Unfortunately, I think what's happened when there's been no consistency and no guidance is that some of those young people, the most complex young people who face the hardest barriers, nobody's known what to do. They don't feel prosecution is the right way forward. So there's actually nothing's happened and they've missed out on huge chunks of learning and it's hard to get them back in. And we know the lifelong impact of young people not receiving an education. So I think you and I will come together in a separate occasion to do a webinar for school staff where we'll be able to talk about those staged and the granularity of those interventions. Also, I think all schools will be terribly interested in good practice and where you have seen it work well. In my work, we've come across so many young people who are very, very anxious to come to school, certainly post-pandemic. So there has been a great need for psychological services and therapy around that sort of emotionally based school avoidance. So schools are seeing the emergence of different reasons potentially for children not going to school. So they're very interested in the granularity of what that support might look like. Absolutely. And yes, so I would say that going forward, Cathy, I can together with yourself, we can really pull apart what the requirements of the attendance policy should look like. 
you know, almost like a checklist of contents and the language that should be used. What should it contain? What's the message it's giving over? Is it user friendly? There's a, there's that, you know, we can really pull that attendance policy apart because it is going to be a statutory requirement. And although schools have an attendance policy, most of them, sometimes they haven't been revisited for a long time. So we would want it to be compliant with the new statutory requirement going forward. And I think it could be a very, very useful document that we base all our good practice going forward through the staged intervention process to really get young people galvanised into school. There's also many more things coming on stream. For example, there is a whole team at the DfE looking into the mental health issue that's impacted upon young people since, well, before and since the pandemic. And how do we get those young people back into school? What does a reintegration programme look like? Are we allowed to do it? There's lots of questions around that. With all good intentions, they're set up and you know, they're not followed through, so they sometimes don't work. And so they're disbanded. But actually, as you've said, good practice will enable us to show how it can be done very successfully, and what's available if that doesn't work in the longer term. I think from my experience, there's been in particular settings, you might find an incredibly innovative practitioner who's trying, trying lots and lots of different things to get that young person into into the school and to work with the family. But as you say, it's very sort of patchy in terms of, you know, what what you see across different schools. So this, it sounds like this is a step in a good direction where not only is there going to be consistency of approach, but also the support behind it to, you know, promote that consistency. That's the intention. I mean, As we know, we're going to have to work hard to give schools that all-round support that has been, you know, lacking or not available and is a scarce resource. But the earlier we manage to intervene and our practice is the best it can be, then hopefully we can prevent or identify much earlier on those young people that are struggling to attend school that goes right back to the nursery provision, Cathy, in, in some of our prep and primary. Not that attendance at those provisions is compulsory all the way through, but it's good habits. And, and also letting parents understand the impact of patchy attendance on um, not just learning, but on the social elements of what school gives. Yes, I'd like to share with colleagues on another occasion an excellent strategy called the belonging strategy, which encompasses all the elements of what we're trying to do in relation to to the schools bill, really, to give young people the sense that they belong to an organisation. What are the components of that? How do we ensure that young people have those feelings? How do we ensure that families feel that they have a sense of, this is my school, this is where I want to be? That's right, because that sense of belonging is a protective asset, isn't it? And I think schools might take it for granted, but it's good to be very conscious of that sense of belonging and promoting and amplifying it throughout a child's educational journey and certainly at points of transition, which I'm very interested in because those can be quite exciting points, but also points of vulnerability, spotting vulnerability and you know, making sure that we're providing effective support around transition. I think will also be a part of that early intervention strategy. Absolutely. And that is another area that 
Department for Education are looking into quite deeply is the transition phases and what more can be done and what's best practice around transition. And there's some obvious things that we all point to, but there's other best practice elements that we can share around all the different stages of transition into and through education. I've recently attended lots of transition evenings in secondary schools, and I've noticed that there's much more attention given by the head teacher to attendance. So making sure parents know we expect them to be in school every day. But I think parents don't really perhaps understand the longitudinal impact of absenteeism. So there's something about the way in which we convey that information to parents that's very important. I agree totally. And um, one of the areas that I've been working on in the recent past has been with the Behaviour um, Insights team who use behavioural psychology and behavioural science to convey messages. And one of the areas we've been working on was to improve attendance, pilot to improve attendance across a selected number of schools by changing approach language that's used in correspondence well in all comms actually and that had an interesting impact and we don't always seek properly in my opinion the views of young people and parents we do seek their views but it can be quite a sterile operation ticking a box or filling in a questionnaire when actually what we really want to hear is you know, what's in it for you? Why would I come here? Why do you send your child here? And I think when young people are not attending school regularly, obviously the focus is on the absenteeism, but schools as a whole organic being system, it does well to focus on why do most children come to us? What are the ingredients that make most children? Have I ever asked them why they come to school? I've asked the young people who don't come to school, but have I asked the young people who come through the door every day with a smile on their face, what is it that makes you come? Because for those children that don't come, those are the ingredients that are missing. Yeah, that's a lovely way of of looking at it and framing it. So it sounds like from what you say, just to be clear, from September 2023, all schools have to have this kind of policy in place. Is that correct? That's statutory. Yes, you're right. From September 2023, at the earliest, because the bill is travelling through Parliament and other aspects of the bill that don't concern us today may be subject to change, as all bills. So we are not expecting it to be published before 2023, but the aim is that next academic year, 2023, we will hit the ground running with legislation to support all the changes that are required to make a consistent approach to school attendance nationally. And at that point, schools will be required to have a published attendance policy that's made up of certain components, which I would like to go into with you, Cathy, in more detail at a later date, what that actually looks like. That's right. So the purpose of this little podcast is to whet the appetite, raise awareness for what schools are going to have to do and show them that you're there as a support and advisory yeah. role. Yeah. How to do yeah. it, what's different from the policy they have already. And in order to meet the requirements placed on schools in relation to the policy, this is best practice. This is how it's done. This is how to do it. This is the support that is available to you to do it. And you and I, in a timely way, are going to be doing a webinar for school staff in September because a lot of people in the position of being in charge of attendance are going to want to know ahead of time 
what should be in that attendance policy and to hear some of your lovely ideas about yes. what they could do in terms of early intervention. I'm really looking forward to, to sharing ideas and I am fortunate that I work with many schools and many local authorities, both in the maintained and the independent sector. And, you know, I have got schools at various stages of putting in place early intervention best practice, which, you know, all schools are happy to, to share and and be part of a larger group supporting each other. So I'm very much looking forward to, to sharing that, Kathy. And for staff listening, we're going to be doing that very important webinar with Victoria on the 21st of September from 4.15 to 5.45. So hopefully, you know, staff will be able to attend after school and even submit questions in advance. So we want it to be as dynamic as possible and answer all staff members' questions in advance. Um, so thank Absolutely. you so much for that, Victoria. Isn't it brilliant that we've got someone who actually <laughs> can help us untangle what can be quite a sort of a, you know, a very fast moving area, but also one that places so many requests on schools to deliver content and guidelines that's in line with what the government is asking. And I want schools to know they're not alone, that there are very high expectations placed on local authorities to support them in their work, which is a complete change for local authorities. Much of the expectations placed on schools, schools will already be doing. So it's not that they particularly have to do anything new, but it is about sharpening up our practice to get in as early as possible to support young people. Lovely. Okay, well, I can't wait for that webinar on the 21st of September. We're going to tell all our schools and attendance officers within the schools and hopefully, you know, create a sense of sort of support around this particular topic. So thank you so much for your contribution today. And I'm certainly feeling clearer on what the expectations are and how things are going to change, hopefully in a more positive direction. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Victoria. Thank you very much for inviting me, Cathy. I look forward to working with you in the future. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.